Hey everybody, welcome to Valley Church. Thanks for clicking in. Thanks for being on campus wherever you are. We are so glad that you're worshiping with us today. My name's Brandon. I'm part of the teaching team. And just a quick heads up, uh, at the end of our service, we are going to be taking communion. So if you have some elements around your home, if you're watching online, or uh, if you didn't pick up your elements here on campus, make sure you do that at the end of our service. We are going to celebrate Jesus uh, with communion as a whole church family. Quick question. I'm just wondering. Do you or have you ever owned a set of encyclopedias? And I know some of our younger crowd, they're like, what is an encyclopedia? It's kind of like the internet, but hardbound. Like it had all the information that you needed to write book reports, to, to uh, study and find facts. And uh, my parents actually bought me a, a big, massive series of encyclopedias to kind of gear me up for high school. Uh, little did they know, right around the corner was going to be this world full of information access. Uh, we just have access to so much today. Uh, in fact, because we have so much access, many people suffer from what I would call infobesity. Like we are bloated with information. We just consume and we have so much. The amount of information we consume is outrageous. You know, we live in a time where we get to know everything, whether it's true or not. You know, we have all the answers at our fingertips from our phones to our laptops to Alexa and, and our Google smart homes, right? Uh, our access, it's never ending. You know, if you don't know when the Gutenberg press was put into commercial use, all you have to do is Google it. Uh, if you don't know how old Danny DeVito is, you just ask Siri. If, if you don't know uh, what the uh, weight measurement of two-thirds cup of water is, uh, it's about 5.6 ounces. You know how I know that? Because I just asked Alexa. You know, if you want to know who the richest person in the world is, uh, I don't know if you know this, but Forbes.com, it has a billionaire ticker. It is up to the minute. And at the time of this recording, don't worry about it. I'll just tell you, it's Elon Musk by about a hundred billion dollars. It's crazy. You know, there, there was a time where if you wanted to know something, you just didn't know. You just didn't know. I mean, think about it. There are people who, uh, who wandered this earth who wanted to know where Charlie Chaplin was born. And, and they just died not knowing. They never, they never found out. You know, we would spend time like asking questions and, and considering people's questions. And now with all this access, everything actually just kind of seems to be annoying, at least those questions. You know, somebody says, hey, where's the closest Ikea? And what do you say? Ask Google Maps. Or, or you say, hey, how late is the mall open? Uh, you know what I say? Ask your mom. Or somebody says, what time is it? I'm like, it's time to ask a clock what time it is. It took you more time to ask me that question than to pull your phone out or, or to just say, hey, Google, what time is it? You know, all this access to information, it's, it's shaping who we are. What informs us forms us. And, and I know that that just, obviously, it obviously makes sense, right? But, but we really need to consider how we're being formed with all the information that we're taking in, all, all of the technology that we're using, uh, the news that we're consuming. Maybe it's our politics or social media. You know, you and I, we all have influencers in our lives. You know, our source of information and the voices that we listen to are shaping the people that we're becoming. You know, I said something to my wife the other day that I thought was newsworthy. I thought it was important. And she had the audacity 
to say, where did you hear that? And my, my immediate mental response was, what does it matter where I heard that? It's true. But then I had to consider, where did I hear that? And as I sat in thought, I realized I heard this thing that I shared with my wife on TikTok. Like I was getting my news from TikTok. What informs us, forms us. I love this. Romans 12 verse 2. It's just such a great verse. Scripture says this, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God. If you want to know what God's will is, if you want to discern well, if you want to know what's good, if you want to do things that are pleasing to the Lord, what we do is is we find transformation by the renewing of our mind. What he's saying is find this new life in Jesus Christ. Be transformed, not by this world, but what the scriptures teach us. Because you and I, we live in a world that is willing to shape you if you're not looking to God for being shaped. What informs us, it forms us. And and having access to so much information, it's great. Like, I love it. I'm glad that I have access to knowledge. But, but it kind of ruins what amazes us. I mean, you and I, we don't wonder like we once did when we were children. As kids, like, we didn't know anything. And it was kind of wonderful. We, we, would, we would be so curious. We would, we would be amazed at so many things. When we were younger, we were filled with wonder. My mom told me that when I was a little boy, I was amazed at everything. She said we would be driving down the road and I would say, Mom, Mom, what is that? And she would say, that's a tree. And I would say, Mom, Mom, what is that? And she would say, that's, that's a house. And, and I, Mom, what's that? She would say, Brandon, that's another house. Like I was just amazed at every single thing. But, but something happens to us between the age of college and kindergarten. There's, there's this gap there between when we were young and when we enter this world with independence that, that shapes us differently, right? I mean, we shift from, from wonder to, to kind of having everything figured out. We, we shift from curiosity to control. There's a shift in our lives from everything is awesome to I think I'm pretty awesome. You know, we see these, these uh, play out in, in Scripture in such a practical way. You see, in the first century, there was a group of religious leaders that, that they thought they had every single thing figured out. They were focused so hard on knowing what's right and doing the right things instead of being the right person. They focused mostly on, on the law. And you got to know this. In the Old Testament, there were six 113 laws. And, and we probably have heard of the Ten Commandments before. I mean, there was God's top 10 list, but there was also 603 other laws. And I got to tell you, the law was actually good. It was, it was a good thing. It was a tool that God gave to define what sin was and to demonstrate our need for a Savior. This good thing, though, it, it was twisted. And, and instead of leading people, the law actually was leveraged over people. It's like this group of religious leaders, they were trying to, to fit God in a box. You know, there was no wonder, there was no awe, but there was control. You know, even the disciples who, who were closest to Jesus kind of slipped into moments where they were, they were more control and less awe 
in wonder. If you've got your Bibles, flip it over to uh, Mark chapter 10. I want to look at verses 13 through 15. Here's what scripture says. People were bringing little children to him. They were bringing little children to Jesus in order that he might touch them. Like people were coming from all over the place so that Jesus would bless their children. People desired closeness. They wanted to be near this guy that was doing so many amazing things. But the disciples rebuked them. Can you imagine that? The disciples said, get away from Jesus, which is completely the opposite of the mission of Jesus. And, and actually, culturally, this probably wasn't a big deal to the crowd. It wasn't a big deal to the disciples because children had a low status. They were, they were fully reliant and dependent on their families. They were kind of a burden in some sense in the first century. In verse 14, when Jesus saw this, Jesus was indignant. That word indignant, I love it. It means uh, he was angered. There was a righteous anger there, but not just anger, like more of a, more of an annoyance. He was annoyed that the disciples would say, get your kids away from Jesus. He was indignant and he said to them, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. So Jesus in front of everybody immediately raises the status of every child. He's pointing out that that you and I, we don't have to know everything. We don't have to have everything figured out. You and I, we don't need to consume so much knowledge that we know the answer to every step of our lives. God has given us everything we need to know, but you and I don't have to know everything. Notice that Jesus didn't say, come to me when you have everything figured out. Jesus didn't say, let the theologically ready come to me. He said, let the little children come to me. He said, don't stop them. Why? Because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. He doesn't say the kingdom of God only belongs to children. He's saying the kingdom of God belongs to everyone who has this wholehearted childlike trust and this, this childlike wonder. Jesus wasn't just saying this to a small group of children. He wasn't saying it to just his disciples. Mark 10 actually begins by saying this. Crowds converged on him. There were people from all over, not just a crowd, but crowds just started coming and looking for Jesus and following Jesus again and again and again. And, and as was his custom, in other words, Jesus did what he always did. He taught him. He taught him again and again. Jesus is saying to everyone that there's something special about this wholehearted trust that lives inside of a child. He wants his followers to be open and to be eager, just like little kids. Look at verse 15. He says, Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Jesus uses a child as an example to show the crowds and crowds of adults that it's important for us to not lose our childlike wonder. You know, who has more trust, more curiosity, more wonder? Who stands in awe of awesome things more than a child? Nobody. And God absolutely loves that. So Jesus, he's teaching the crowd that, that if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have got to have childlike faith. 
This doesn't mean that you can't ask questions. It doesn't mean you can't wrestle with doubts. It, it doesn't mean that you have to blindly follow. But we don't want to lose our childlike wonder. We don't, want to, we don't want to lose our wonder in an effort to just grow up. You know, we get to wait in the wonder as we grow. You know, one of the biggest challenges of being an adult is to never lose that wonder we had as children. You know, if we would just open up our Bibles to page one and, and look at verse one, Genesis chapter one, verse one, scripture says, in the beginning, God created. And that should just ignite our wonder. He created the heavens. He created the earth. He created the sea and everything in the sea. He created rain. He created seasons. And I know everybody doesn't love this, but when it snows, like my childhood wonder, it just kicks in. I love the snow. I love when it's snowing. It doesn't matter what's happening in my day. I cancel all my meetings during the first snowfall and I pull up in a coffee shop and I bring work with me and I just want to sit in the window and watch. I just want to be amazed and enjoy the beauty of God's creation. God created food. I mean, how can you eat bacon and not realize there's a God? How important is it that you and I have these, these bodies? It's impossible and amazing that, that our bodies function the way they do. Too amazing to be some sort of cosmic accident. It, it blows my mind how, how females can grow another human inside of them. Uh, like, this is all witness of a living God. And, and there are so many things that you and I, we just can't wrap our heads around. And it's just like, everything should just be wow. God created all this. In fact, the one who created everything as well as, well as the universe, he also created you. He knows your name. How are we not in awe of like everything all the time? And, and if you and I lose that, that childlike wonder, something happens inside of us. If we lose our childlike wonder, we are missing something. You know, you may be thinking, but Brandon, you know what? There is scripture that tells us to grow up too, right? And absolutely. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. This is what scripture says. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I, I, I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put aside childish things. Uh, this this is an awesome verse, and it doesn't contradict what Jesus is saying. It actually reinforces it. In fact, you might want to write this down. We want childlike faith. We do not want childish faith. You know, we, we grow up and we hopefully mature, but we don't outgrow how awesome God is. You know, if you were following Jesus closely, and if you are following Jesus closely, you're going to be amazed all the time. And that doesn't mean you won't be confused. I mean, people who were following Jesus so closely, they were like, I don't know what just happened, but that was awesome. All, all the time people were doing that. But, but, but those who were following Jesus in, in those moments, they were closely watching him. And, and the crowds were often amazed as well as the disciples. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't just people left in wonder, like they were in awe and wonder of who Jesus was. You know, in Luke chapter 5, and this is a very familiar story, there were a group of guys 
who wanted to bring their friend to Jesus. They wanted their friend healed. And Jesus was teaching in a house and the crowds were so thick, this group, they couldn't get in to get next to Jesus. So they, they somehow got this guy, these friends, and they brought him up to the roof and they started peeling back shingles enough that they could lower him down to be right in front, right beside Jesus. And, and while all of this was happening, there was this group of religious teachers and religious lawgivers watching everything that was happening, listening to everything that Jesus was saying. And Jesus said to him as he's being lowered, he says this, young man, your sins are forgiven. And the crowd was stunned. In fact, the, these religious leaders and these teachers of the law, they were like, this is not okay. They didn't say a word, but they were all thinking, this is a problem. We got him. But Jesus knew what they were thinking. Uh, he knew exactly what they were thinking. And Jesus says to them, which must have been startling. It, would have, it should have set them uh, spiraling out in wonder and awe because he knew exactly what they were thinking even though they said nothing. And Jesus says, why do you question this in your hearts? Jesus says, is it easier for somebody to say the words, your sins are forgiven, or is it easier for this man to stand up and walk? And everybody knows. I mean, just saying words is easier than you know, bringing life to somebody's legs who, who can't move them or work them. And in that moment, Jesus says, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. Look at verse 25. And immediately, as everyone was watching, can you imagine the scene? Everyone on the edge of their seats, listening to what Jesus is saying, knowing that the religious leaders are going to try to pin him and use the law against him. Nobody's taking their eyes off Jesus. Everybody is actually wondering what's going to happen next. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man, he jumped up, he picked up his mat, and he went home praising God. Like the, the people who thought they had everything figured out, they didn't like what they saw, but they couldn't explain it. They didn't understand it. Jesus was giving answers to questions that they weren't asking and they were missing, they were missing something. This crowd of religious leaders, they were missing this childlike faith and wonder. But not the whole crowd. Look at the next verse. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe. And they praised God. What Jesus had done some like hated it, but others began praising God because it struck awe and wonder inside of them. They were, they were yelling, we have seen amazing things today. Like, I love this. And some of you are thinking, Brandon, if, if I saw amazing things like this happen, I would, I would easily be, be gripped with great wonder and awe. And I actually don't think that's true. Not for all of us. You know, I, you might be thinking, you know, if I could see, Brian, if I could just see with my own eyes, oh, or God, if you would just do this for me, then, then, then I would do this for you. And I, I don't think, I don't think that seeing is guaranteeing. And, and I would say, I, with confidence, as I read scripture, as I look at Matthew chapter 28, and, and we look at, at verses 16 and 17, look at what scripture says. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them to go. Now, what some people forget or don't recognize 
is that this moment at the end of the Gospel of Matthew is, is a resurrected Jesus. Jesus had lived this perfect life. He had this amazing three years of ministry. He was arrested, falsely convicted. He was crucified. He was buried in a tomb. And then Matthew 28. This is like the resurrected Jesus. They went where he, they, he told them to go. But when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. How do you doubt after you see a resurrected Jesus? Seeing is not always believing. I would say this too. Jesus isn't afraid of your doubts. But, but don't, try to, don't try to back God into a corner by saying, if you do this, I'll do this. Because the guarantee is not there. Look at this from uh, John chapter 20, 29. Uh, Jesus said, because you have seen me, uh, you believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. You know, he's talking to Thomas, this guy who is like, you know what, I just need to see this resurrected Jesus to believe with my own eyes. And while in this case, he actually does believe after he sees Jesus kind of says, well, I just need you to know that it is more blessed to have this childlike wonder and faith and wholehearted trust in God than it is to have to see and to have to, to know. There's something special. There's something profound about maintaining that awe and wonder that lives inside of a child. To maintain a childlike faith, not a childish faith, is actually very difficult for some adults. For adults, it's it's difficult because we want the hard facts like Thomas. But you and I, we get to wait in the wonder. We get to wait in the wonder. Imagine being around when the prophet Isaiah's ministry began. This guy, he was, you know, God was using him to say, this is what's going to happen. Imagine, imagine being a follower of God and hearing this prophecy that I'm about to read at that time for the first time. And Isaiah says this, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. People are waiting for a king. People are waiting for a mighty warrior. They are waiting for somebody to bring victory to them. And his name, he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Knowing the history of God's faithfulness, hearing the stories of God working with his people and for his people, and maybe some of these people even experiencing the fulfillment of prophecy, this would have struck all in wonder in everyone who heard it at this time in this place. God spoke to his people differently than, than he does today, back in the Old Testament. And he even speaks differently today than he, he did in the New Testament. So hearing this prophecy, it would have been incredibly exciting news. It would have sparked a depth of wonder and anticipation and excitement that maybe we wouldn't even understand right here in the moment. And 700 years later, these shepherds who were just tending their flock by night, they were visited by an angel of the Lord. I can't even imagine. They were, they were terrified. Uh, they were so terrified. The angel said, hey, don't freak out. I bring good news of great tidings. This is going to be amazing joy, the news that I have for you. And they listened to everything the angel of the Lord said. Uh, and they, they went off into the city to see if what the angel said was true. And when they saw what they saw, they knew 
it was true. And they saw Mary and they saw Joseph. And verse 17 says, after seeing them, they, they reported the message that they were told about this child. Like the awe and the wonder of these shepherds was leaking out. It was spraying out all over everyone who would listen to them. In verse 18, and all who heard it, they were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. Of course they were amazed. Like, what incredible news. What, what uh, an incredible sight. And I love this. But Mary, you know, Mary, she's got this glimpse. She's got some inside information. She knows that the Lord has chosen her. And these, these shepherds, they're, they're confirming what she knew. These, these, these shepherds, they're bringing this incredible news to her. And you know what? Uh, I don't know if you've thought about this, but most Christian historians speculate that Mary was somewhere between 14 and 16 years old at the time. She was, she was a fresh, young teenager, like brand new to being a teen. And, and a, a, a child by so many respects. She was just receiving this news as a child. You know, we obviously don't know what would have happened if, if she was 20 or if she was 30 or even in her 40s. But, but what we know is that this young girl was treasuring up all of these things in her heart. And she was meditating on everything that she had heard. This quite possibly is, is something that an adult wouldn't have even been able to do without childlike wonder. Have you ever gone to bed and you just kind of have so many things spinning in your head? Like you've got checklists, you've got to-dos, you wonder if you forgot something, you know that you've got so much work tomorrow and your head is spinning. I imagine that that's a fraction of what Mary was feeling as she was treasuring everything up, as she was, as she was meditating on, on those words that she heard. And as she sat in wonder, the shepherds returned uh, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Like their wonder is amazing. You know, those, those shepherds were forever changed. Mary forever changed. And that's just a glimpse into the wonder of Christmas. You know, I came across a, a story uh, about a famous, a famous lady. Uh, her dad was more famous. Her name was Diane Disney. And, uh, you know, she talked about what it was like growing up as, as Walt Disney's daughter. And, and Diane, she said, my dad was just a normal guy. He was a normal dad. And when he would come home from work, he, he would help me with my homework. Uh, you know, he took me to school every single day. My dad, he was a great dad. He was a normal dad. And it wasn't actually until she was probably about five years old, she says, when she found out who her dad really was. You know, Diane's discovery came on the first day of kindergarten. The teacher grabbed the class, said, hey, everybody, let's sit in a circle and uh, we're going to learn everybody's name. And as they went around the circle, person by person by person, the teacher said, what's your name? And she said, my name's Diane Disney. And the room kind of exploded. And the teacher, she just like, you know, gets, gets control over the class, gets control over the kids. And she said, I'm sorry, I missed that what's your name? And she said, I'm Diane Disney. And the crowd, it just erupts again. Every kid in her kindergarten class, they're just screaming in, in excitement. This classroom, it just, it just explodes. And the teacher, 
she, te- she said, uh, just, what's your dad's first name? And Diane responded, my dad's first name is Walter. And the classroom, just off the hook. Everybody is screaming, everybody in excitement, not only because they're friends with her, but they're thinking maybe this is good news for them too. And all of these outbreaks happen, and it's a little unsettling for a five-year-old. And the teacher explained to Diane that, that the class was very excited that her dad was Walt Disney. And she responded, yeah, my dad's Walter Disney. And the teacher said, no, no, no. Your dad's Walt Disney. These kids, these kids have mice in their house and it's a problem, but your mice make money. No, she didn't say that, but she did say, your dad's the Walt Disney of Disneyland. Your dad's the Walt Disney of the Mickey Mouse Club. That's who your dad is. And Diane said, I had no idea. I had no idea. And when she went home that day, she kind of went up to her dad and she kind of smacked the newspaper out of his hand like a little kid would. She put her little hands on her hips and she said, you never told me that you were Walt Disney. I love this quote. Diane says, I was dazed for a month, stunned by who my father was. I want to spend the rest of my life being stunned by who my heavenly father is. By the way, like we're not only stunned by what he's created, but we should be stunned by what he has done for us. God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for you, to pay the penalty that you and I owe for the sin that we've committed in our lives. He did that for each and every one of us. I can't really comprehend extending such a measure of grace, paying the price to repair what someone else did to me. But that's what Jesus does for us. Jesus did that for each and every single person through the person of Jesus Christ. We get to know and we get to remember that every single day. In fact, uh, right now, if you could just grab your elements, we're going to take communion and remember who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. And hopefully we walk away from this, not only thankful, grateful, and celebrating, but in wonder of how amazing this has been, what Jesus has done for us. First Corinthians chapter 11. These are the words of the apostle Paul. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. On the night he was betrayed, The Lord Jesus took bread, and we had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do it as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to serve you, to uh, be shaped by you, to be shaped by your word. God, continue to help us mature and grow up. But while we grow up, help us never grow out of understanding and knowing how awesome you are. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. We remember, we remember that you paid the price that none of us could ever pay on our own through your sacrifice. God, thank you for sending your son for us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Take when you're ready.